Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. For those of you that haven't met me or don't know who I am, my name is Nick, and together with my husband, Chris, who was on keys this morning, we are the pastors here. Now, just to remember, there is no church here next Sunday because church is at the beach. Next Sunday, church is at Dimchurch Beach. We are doing baptisms in the sea. It's a total privilege. It's so much fun. We basically baptise people, and then everyone gets fish and chips, and the kids all play, and it's a whole load of fun. So uh, we've done it in all conditions. We have baptism photos where people are all under umbrellas, and we are the only people on the whole beach. And we've also got baptism photos where we joined seemingly the whole of Kent at Dimchurch on a glorious sunny day. So we're hoping for the latter but please don't turn up here next Sunday because you'll be on your own feeling very sad come to the beach instead even if you are not getting baptized or don't know anyone getting baptized please come it's an amazing way to celebrate family and community in a different setting so please come along to that so today as Maddie said we are doing part two of unbelief which is part of our boulder series now we started this series a good number of weeks ago so if you haven't been around I'm I'm going to give you just a quick insight into what's been going on. The series is based on a book by Simon Holly called Sustainable Power. And uh, Chris and I read this book and felt really challenged by it and felt like there was something for us as a church community that we could learn and grow through some of the things that Simon Holly had written in the book. And the premise of it is this that the Bible tells us that when we know Jesus, we give our yes to Jesus, we have access to rivers of living water. That is rivers of his power flowing out of us. We should be experiencing God's power in amazing ways in our everyday. And so if we have rivers available to us, but actually what we're experiencing feels more like a trickle of power, we're just not seeing very much there must be something blocking the flow. And that's what we've called boulders. We've identified some things that get in the way of us fully experiencing the awesomeness of God's power. And we've been dealing with those. And the great news is that to get rid of these boulders, it's not all about effort and being a good Christian or trying hard. This is about us working out what's going on and partnering with God to see those things removed. And the way we do that is through something called repentance. Now, repentance is often thought of as saying sorry, but actually we've totally misread that very often. In the New Testament, the books that talk about Jesus' life in the Gospels, the word that he uses to talk about repentance is metaneo from the Greek, and that means changing your thinking. So rather than us identifying issues in our life and just kind of groveling to God and saying, I'm so sorry, like that's not what he wants. He's asking us instead, we're already enough. He's not disappointed in us. He's not cross with us. We're already enough. What we do with these issues is we go to him and we say, change my thinking. Help me to think differently. Help me to see differently. And that that's how these boulders get removed. So if you've missed them, you can catch up with all of them on our podcast. These are the ones we've tackled so far. Self-reliance, fear, judgment, control, and then unbelief part one, but never one being short of things to say. I couldn't fit it all in in the first one, so I've had to make it a two-parter, and today we have unbelief part two. So to give you a little recap on what we talked about in the first session, this was the take-home message. Often we think that unbelief is like a little version of faith, but actually 
actually, what we talked about last time was the fact that isn't the case. You can be simultaneously full of faith and have unbelief going on at the same time. Rather than it being like a sliding scale, it's an opposing force. You can be totally full of faith, faith is pulling you one way, and you can also at the same time in one situation have unbelief going on, and that pulls you in the other direction. And we talked about it being a little bit like a tug of war, and what happens is if you've got something pulling one way and something pulling the other, you don't move, you get stuck. And very often that's what happens to us. We pray for a situation, we pray for a person and somehow it's stuck and it doesn't move as we want it to move and that's because there are some opposing forces going on and that's what we started talking about last time. So as always, I like to give you the answer at the beginning of the quiz and so this is the take-home message from today. We're going to be talking all about the fact that the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing But it is also true that if what we focus on and think about, yes, it impacts our faith, but it can also impact unbelief as well. So I'll say that again. Basically, faith comes by hearing and so does doubt and unbelief. So what we choose to focus on, think about, look at, spend our time meditating on can, in a good way, feed our faith but can also, depending on what we're looking on and focusing on, can feed unbelief. And we're going to talk about how to overcome that as we pray for people and situations. So if you've got a Bible, grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you haven't, don't panic, it's going to come up on the screen. And we are going to read a story that demonstrates this really, really well. And many of you will be familiar with it. I'm sure it's about um, Jesus walking on water. So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to another side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And I don't think we can underestimate the magnitude of this story. When you read it like a story like that, it can all feel very safe and nice. But this is a big storm. You know, when it says, Peter says, if it's you, I'm guessing it was more like, if it's you, because there's a massive storm going on at the time. And that is, you know, the fact to see someone walking on water, that's nuts. That doesn't happen. It's not normal. That's not part of their experience. And so what happens here with the first thing we need to realize is Peter was in a place of faith. 
He was looking at a miracle right in front of him. Before anything else happened, his faith must have been raised by the fact he saw a man walking on water in the middle of a storm. So what we talked about, that tug of war, it's not that Peter was full of unbelief and doubt and he was in this terrible place and he didn't have faith. He would have been full of faith because he was watching a miracle happen. And then something else happens. Then Jesus invites him. He says, if it's you, and then Jesus says, come. And in that one word, possibility is released into that situation. In one word, just by saying, come, suddenly it's an invitation to you get to play too. Seeing Jesus walking on water is amazing, but actually being invited into the miracle yourself is something even more phenomenal. This isn't just for me. Come, you can do this too. You get to participate in this miracle too. That is pretty amazing. And of course he does. He steps out. We have to assume that he's, got, he's full of faith because he steps out of a boat and for a start, he doesn't fall straight down to the bottom of the, of the lake. So his faith must be pretty high. He steps out onto the lake and then this happens. When he saw the wind, he was afraid And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, to doubt something means that you're pulled between two alternatives. That's what doubt is all about. It's being pulled between one possibility and another. And what we see here is that Peter is torn between Jesus and the waves. Suddenly, things have changed. He's gone from having his eyes on Jesus, he's hearing Jesus' voice, And all of a sudden, it's changed, and he's being torn between looking at the waves and looking at Jesus. And something incredible starts to happen. Now, as you may have heard Chris and I say before, we believe every day is a school day. We love to learn. We love to be lifelong learners. We're always trying to challenge ourselves. And as I've done some reading around this story, I've learned new things. And one of the things I found fascinating is that one commentator commented about the fact that Peter began to sink. Now, what's interesting, if you think about sinking, is that sinking doesn't happen gradually. So if you were to step out of a boat onto some water, you're either going to be walking on the water or you're going to sink. It's not gradual. If you try to do that, you will drop to the bottom of the lake or the ocean or whatever it is. It's not like you suddenly can start sinking and then you slowly, slowly start sinking, going lower and lower. That's not physically, that's just not how sinking works. So what is fascinating here is we talk about faith and unbelief being these opposing pulls And of course, it's demonstrated in the fact Peter begins to sink. As as the pull on this side of looking at the waves and the wind and the storm starts to pull, he gradually starts to sink. He begins to come away from the possibility of what Jesus is offering him and move into another possibility instead. Basically, he is pulled between the two possibilities. And a quote that I found talking about this very thing is a guy I quoted last time, Santo Calaco. He says this, Whenever our minds are shifted away from the power of God's word and the name of Jesus and onto what our logic and our eyes tell us, we enter the realm of unbelief. What happened here for Peter? 
his doubt crept in because he suddenly was looking more on the waves and more on the impossibility than he was by looking straight at Jesus, knowing that he was the guy in the first place that had got him out onto the water. So what does that look like when we're praying for something or praying for somebody? For me, this is a bit what goes on in my head. I'll start to pray and I'll feel full of faith that something's going to change. And then depending on what naturally starts to happen in front of me, my head starts to do this. Wow, it doesn't look like it's working. Or nothing's really changing. Or, well, last time I prayed for someone's leg, that didn't work either. Or, and then suddenly my focus and my attention, rather than being on what I know is possible and what I've seen in the past, gets drowned out by the reality of me thinking, this just isn't working, or this is a bit embarrassing. You're looking at the person's face you're praying for and they feel a bit awkward. Suddenly that feels very awkward to me. And then I'm a bit like, maybe I should just stop this because, you know, it's just not working. Maybe I should just like rein this in, say, oh, well, never mind and walk away. What happens is the doubt in my mind and heart starts to pull me to another possibility and then I stop and walk away. Now, the Bible uses two words in the Greek to talk about doubt and what doubt is. And the first one is a word diakrino. And what that means is that's the kind of doubt that's there for people who don't even really believe it's possible. So if you're here today and you don't even know whether Jesus exists or any of this stuff's real, the kind of doubt you will experience when you enter into a situation to have something prayed for is this type. It basically means, I don't really know if this stuff works. I don't really know if God is good enough to do this. That's that kind of doubt. But the kind of doubt used in this passage is something different, and it's the Greek word distazo. And what that is, it's based on our English word to distance. It's based on distance. And what it means is that you know what's possible and you know the truth, you have a reference for that, but you actually distance yourself from the truth and get pulled in a different direction. I find that as a linguist, I'm a speech therapist, I love words. And I, I love the fact that that was so specific. In this story, the word that's used is not not believing it's possible. It's knowing it is and distancing yourself from that reality. I don't know about you. I do that all the time. All the time, I'll be faced with a situation where like, I know this is possible. And as soon as my natural circumstances start telling me otherwise, I distance myself from the truth. And instead, I start walking in the other direction. What happened here for Peter is that he distanced himself from the truth that Jesus could keep him afloat. And, and by putting distance between him and that reality, he began to sink. And the other side of that opposing pull started to win out. Now, about 15 months ago or so, I had the privilege of spending some time with a lady from the choir who was diagnosed with a very serious cancer. And she invited Chris and I to spend some time with her um, so that she could ask us to plan her funeral. And this lady didn't know Jesus at all. She didn't have a faith as such. She was quite a spiritual lady, but didn't have a faith. And I had the opportunity to go and spend some time with her in hospital. And I went in full of faith. Now, I have no experience in praying for cancer. I haven't been brave enough, I don't think, to go down that road before. And I went in full of faith that, do you know what? I'm going to pray and I think I'm going to see some change. I think something's going to shift here. But as I started to talk to her, I felt God reveal to me something that happened that was very significant in her story. And that was that the doctors had shown her an image of her whole body scan after her diagnosis. 
And that image was covered in white. And effectively, what she told me on that moment was, Nick, you should have seen the scan. I've got it all over me. I've got cancer everywhere. And so do you know what? I'm just resigned to the fact that this is my time. I'm making plans. This is why I've invited you to come and plan my funeral. This is why, you know, I'm spending time with the grandchildren and I'm making a plan because this is the outcome. This is what's going to happen. And as I left the hospital, I, I wrestled out. I, I wrestle with God a lot over things I don't understand. And I wrestled out and I had an opportunity to pray for her and it was great. And she, she said she felt really peaceful in that moment. She said she suddenly felt something in her body that felt peaceful. But as I walked away, it was like God showed me how powerful that image had become to her of that body scan. She'd been shown that there was no hope. She'd been shown the outcome in a picture form. And that image was very firmly in her mind that as far as she was concerned, it wasn't an if it was a definite, and it came from seeing a picture of her body full of cancer. And it was like she'd moved into a place of agreeing with the picture, if you like. It was like, well, this is what it is. She didn't have any sense of, I'm going to fight this, I'm going to do this. She basically said, I've seen the picture, this is what it is. And what we see and what we focus our attention on has a massive effect on our faith and our ability to see possibility. It has a massive effect. I have absolutely no evidence, but I would love to commission some research that looks at cancer recovery rates where people have not been given the clear outcome and shown the images and the pictures. I have no evidence, but my gut feeling is that actually people's attitudes towards fighting their illnesses might be different if they felt like there was another way rather than being basically told, this is it, this is the end. And like I said, I don't have evidence for that, but I feel like when we see something, when we hear something, and then we turn our attention to that and it becomes the biggest thing in the room, that starts to dictate our hope levels and our faith levels and our ability to see another way. Another thing that happened re fairly recently was um, someone here at Asher Vineyard came to see me and said they'd offered to pray for a lady who um, has got a faith um, because she had some pain in her back. And that as they'd offered to pray, this lady turned around and said, oh, don't worry, loads of people have prayed already and it doesn't work. And this person came to me and said, what should I do? Like, what do you think I should do? And as it happens, I said, well, I would probably start by asking her, do you want me to pray for you? And if she says no, say, okay, and then leave it there. That's fine. But of course, what happens is that person was, about, was full of faith, ready to pray. And then the words came out of the other person's mouth were like, it's not going to work. That's very powerful. Before you open your mouth to pray in faith, for someone to basically say to you, it's not going to work, is very powerful. It's what we hear and what we focus our attention on. But we have another way. We instead can focus on what's possible and what God says is possible and what he says is true. And actually, as it happens, God can override someone else's issues about it not working anyway. But we have to start turning our attention to the things that are life-giving. And what I want to kind of wrap up with a story for you from the Bible of where Jesus shows us how it's done. Jesus shows us that when we're surrounded by our circumstances telling us one thing, he shows us how it's done. And that is in the book of Mark, another book about Jesus' life from chapter 5. And I'm going to cut out a little bit in the middle to save some time, but hopefully you'll be able to catch up with me. 
So when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Major understatement. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, there are some amazing things we can learn for how Jesus handles this situation here. The first is that we know that Jairus is full of faith at the beginning of the story. Isn't it interesting that he goes up to Jesus and he says, can you come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed? He doesn't say, can you put your hands on her in case that might change something and maybe possibly you might be able to make her better. He is full of faith. He knows what's possible with Jesus and he comes and just declares it. Come and put your hands on her so she will be well. He starts in a place of great faith. Then, as if that wasn't high enough, he enters a situation where he watches before his eyes a woman who has been ill for 12 years that no doctor can cure get better instantly. Faith levels, high. He's, he's got to be in a good place faith-wise. But then something else happens. They come, the people from his house come, and in one sentence, all of that faith he's got is all up here. And in one sentence they say, don't bother Jesus anymore, it's too late. The implication is he could have dealt with it when she was just really sick, but don't bother him now, it's too late now. This one's beyond Jesus. He's not going to be, like she's dead. He's not going to be able to fix that. And what I love is the immediacy of Jesus's response. Notice how it says, overhearing this. So it's not like he was with them. He was doing something else. And as soon as he heard them start to speak out something that talked about impossibility, he intervenes. And he comes straight in and he says this. Don't be afraid, just believe. Those two opposing forces, he's like, remember how you felt when you first came to me. Remember the faith you had then. Look at that. 
Don't be afraid. Just believe. Get back into that camp. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to what they're saying. Don't let them affect your faith. Just believe. Because Jesus wasn't distracted away from what was possible, but he could see in that moment that Jairus was. Instantly, he saw Jairus had moved and he'd become afraid. And he intervenes and says, no, keep your focus on me. And then he does something very interesting. He backs it up with his physical response. These are the things I think Jesus does here that we can learn from. He first speaks the truth and then he removes the distractions. Isn't it interesting how when all the wailing, crying people, again, a message saying to you, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Like they're laughing in his face. He's like, don't worry, I've got this. And they just laugh at him. What does he do? He puts them out the way. He gets rid of them. He basically says, I'm going to remove these distractions because they're not going to help in this situation. So he puts them out and he gets rid of the distractions. And then what does he do? What he does best. He leans into possibility and he says to her, get up and she's well. And that is how I think we overcome this boulder of unbelief. That when we're praying for a situation or a person and it doesn't seem to change and it doesn't seem to move and nothing seems to happen, first of all, we have to go back to the truth of what Jesus says is possible. We have to speak out what's true. Then we remove the distractions. Get your eyes off all of the stuff around you that will tell you otherwise and then lean into possibility. And this happened for me a couple of weeks ago here where we, during the worship time, were praying for people for their hearing and their sight. And in the first service, I prayed for someone and nothing changed. And I basically said to them, is there any change? No. And so I came out of that situation thinking, oh, like, I just didn't see what I wanted to see. And then I was hosting that day. And as I stood back on the platform, I found myself saying, I refuse to believe that we, when we pray, nothing changes. And something really interesting happened. As I said it out loud, something changed inside me. It was, it was like I didn't believe it when I was down there praying for the person. But as I said the words, I refuse to believe that when we pray, nothing changes. It was like my faith got a little injection. It got a bit of boost. And in the second service we prayed for people's hearing and sight again. And this time I went and prayed with Jonathan and I went over to him and it was like I felt like I had, I was focusing more on that level of faith. And as I started to pray, I intentionally removed the distraction of what had happened in the first service and I would not let my mind go there. And I leant into possibility and I started to think about at the leadership training day, we'd watched a film about a guy called Todd White who'd prayed for a guy's hearing and it had been completely restored, but it took him a while and it took him a little while to get that to happen. And instead I kept thinking about that film and thinking, this is possible, I know this is possible, I've seen this happen, I'm getting rid of what happened in the first service and something amazing happened. Jonathan suddenly said he could feel like a line of heat running all the way down where the pain was. He had had pain, neural pain, for years, and it had often been very severe. And he suddenly said he could feel like a finger running all the way down the side of his ear here. And I checked with him before I did this talk this morning for some authenticity. He has had no pain since then. It's so good. It's so exciting because what happened was I realized some of my stuff was getting in the way. 
But because I spoke out, this is possible, and then I removed the distractions and I focused on what I know to be true. I didn't look at the waves. I tried to look at Jesus instead, and breakthrough came. And it was amazing. And I think this is where we need to focus our attention. What are your waves? You'll all know for you. You'll have particular waves that take you there quickly. Maybe it is awkwardness. Maybe, as Laura said, when she prayed for that lady at Toddles, it felt a bit weird. Maybe it's awkwardness. Maybe it's lack of success previously. You feel like you've gone out on a limb and you've tried to pray for a situation or a person and it hasn't gone well. And that suddenly is like this huge wave that every time you go again, it kind of comes to crash and and consume you. Maybe it's that. What are your waves? What are the things that you put your eyes on when you need to be looking straight at Jesus in a moment where you need faith. I think if we can catch hold of looking and thinking and focusing our energy on what's possible, we will start to see a much greater measure of breakthrough in the stuff that we pray for. And without stealing a story which may make it up here at some point during the celebration slots, just between the two services, we had a guy who came to Chris and I at the back um, who had a frozen shoulder and uh, he could only move his arm to here. And so um, Chris called me over and he was like, you've just been speaking about faith, let's go. And I was like, okay. So we laid hands on him. I couldn't run anywhere. You know, when you're the pastor, you can't go, oh, sorry. Um, So we're like, okay. So we laid our hands on his shoulder. Almost immediately, when we stopped praying and said to have another go, he managed to get to here. He was here and he couldn't do it. And then he managed to get to here. So we're like, great, that is evidence That's what we're going to focus our attention on. That's evidence that something's changing. Next thing, we pray again, he gets to here. Gets to here. And then we got a bit stuck. Because the other hand, he could get to here. And this one, we saw an improvement. We knew it had changed. But I wasn't satisfied with like a half change. I was like, I want him to be doing like windmill arms. I was like, I don't... but But Chris and I got a bit stuck. And in that moment... All of the unbelief stuff voices were like, it's not going to work. All of that. Like, and I was like, I've just been talking about this. Come on, Nick. I had a little bit of a word with myself. And, uh, and we continued to pray. And we called Herbie over. And Herbie is someone that actually has got a great measure of confidence in praying for healing for people and has seen some great results. So rather than have too much pride and go, oh, we should, really should know what we're doing, like we are the pastors, I was a bit like, do you know what? I'm a bit stuck. And rather than let all the unbelief stuff make me walk away, like, I want to see breakthrough. And so we called Herb over and we're like, Herb, can you come and help and, and show us? And actually, we all continued to pray. And by the time the guy walked out, he had his arm up here, <laughs> which is so good. It's so good. And I, what I would say to you is, this stuff works. Like, it actually works. He had a frozen shoulder. He, couldn't, he wasn't messing around. And he certainly is not someone that would be kind to us and make it up if he didn't think this was changing. And yet, by the time he left, his frozen shoulder that he's had for years was released. This works. But we have to get our eyes off the waves and onto Jesus somehow. We have to start looking at what's possible instead of constantly looking about what's impossible. And when we get our confidence to do that, that we know who God says we are, we know what he says is possible with us, then life can get so much more fun, I think. 
So much more fun. If you get up on a Sunday morning and think, shall I go to church? And you're a bit like, meh. If you knew that you would be walking into an atmosphere where miracles are happening all around you, I think you might get up more easily. Like, I think that might happen. No offence, you're all in the 11.30 service. I'm not judging you for that. But what I'm saying is I think you'd want to get up. Just a little while ago, Chris and I were feeling so despondent. We were just feeling like, do you know what? Maybe we've taken this church as far as we can. And it was a friend of ours who's a very honest friend that said, if you walked in every week and there were people queuing at the door to come and know what God's love is like, you wouldn't feel like that. And we're like, yeah, no, you're right. We wouldn't feel like that. And they were like, so lean into the possibility. God's got great things for Ashford and Ashford Vineyard. Stop focusing on what's broken and not working and is missing and start focusing on why you came here in the first place. And that has got to be for all of us. What's God inviting you into? Where is he saying, come, come? And you're standing there going, well, it's a bit windy. I don't know. Where is he saying, come? He's got incredible things in your future. Say yes. So cliche, but you do have to get out the boat if you want to walk on the water. Like it starts with getting out the boat. So let's stand and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you that you have got an incredible future for each and every one of us. And there is an invitation to all of us to keep our eyes fixed on you in order to run into the possibility of what you've got for us. Where we feel discouraged, where we feel disappointed, where we feel unsure, maybe for some of us it's that first type of doubt that I don't even know if this is possible. Help us with that, Father. Help us to know you better. Help us to throw off the guilt and the shame that comes through trying things and feeling like it doesn't work and instead fix our eyes on you. Thank you, Father. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.